Father in heaven, thank you for all that you mean to us and all that you've been to us in the days that, le- that have been in the past. We're excited, Lord, when we think about who you are, what you've done for us, what you're continuing to do on a daily basis. Father, tonight, we hand this meeting over into your hands. We pray that Glenn may know the liberty and freedom of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as he tells of what the Lord has done in him and through him and for him. Lord, we pray that you'll just give him that real liberty, Lord, to just speak, uh, Lord, the experience that he has of God. Thank you, Lord, that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, your word says to be ready, instant, in season and out of season, always willing to give a reason for the hope that's within you with meekness and joy. And we pray that none will be seen or heard, save Jesus only. And for those, Lord, in this gathering tonight who as yet need to take that step of faith, Lord, need to put their past behind them, who need, Lord, to uh, uh, just reconnect, recommunicate with God. Father in heaven tonight, we give this meeting into your hands. And we ask, Lord, that you will speak right into their experience and grant tonight, Lord, that we will see the mighty hand of God laid bare and souls getting delivered and set free from the bondage and the, uh, and the slavery of Satan and sin. And Lord, seeing the light of the glory of the gospel, uh, that what Christ has done for them. So we roll this into your hands and pray your blessing upon us now in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. up to your feet, we're going to stand and sing. No, I love to sing about the blood. So let's stand and sing about the blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. And if you're not able to stand for all the songs, that's all right. But let's stand and sing together if you're able. There is a fountain filled with blood. Thank you, Emma for filling in tonight. Make as much noise on
evidence of the blood that has lost none of its power is in the salvation of souls, and it is amazing grace my chains are gone. Thank you.
His mercy is more. Thank the Lord. Up, all right, but love could remember. Thanks. All right. Thank you. That was abrupt. But now you may be seated. Thank you very much. Um, we usually sing those last two lines the second time around. Now we're all set to go. I was saying to Sam earlier, I hope he gets the weather he's looking for. Um, <laughs> and I hope you get the blessing that you're looking for as well. We've come, I hope you've come hungry, and I hope you've come humble and seeking the Lord together. It's good to have Glenn with us. Glenn, I'm going to let you come right ahead.
and share your testimony and say whatever the Lord has laid upon your heart. And this is the man that built my garage in six days. So thank you, Glenn. Boa noite. A paz do Senhor. Tudo bem? Somebody got it? <laughs> Very good. That's good evening. Peace of the Lord in Portuguese. We greet one another in Brazil with the peace of the Lord. So turn to the person beside you and say to them, peace of the Lord. Paul always said in his letters, grace and peace be unto you, didn't he? So that's how we greet one another in Brazil. If you're a Christian, you meet another Christian, it's peace of the Lord. If you meet someone who's not a Christian, you don't give them peace of the Lord because they don't have the peace of God. And that's a serious thing, the peace of God. Uh, I'm just a builder. As Trevor said, I built his garage, built a roof to plaster it, put the floor in, put the door on in six days. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor carried the blocks. <laughs> I'm just a builder. I'm not too big. I'm not that very special to look at either. My hair's not tossed, so I'm all right. But the Bible says that God uses the small, the simple, uh, insignificant things of this world to confound the wise, the mighty. And when God is in control... It's God and nobody else. My brother became a Christian when he was about 10 or 11 years old. That's a long time ago. And the Lord gave him a promise. Acts 16, 31. What does it say? Come on, Trevor. What are you teaching them? <laughs> Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Boy, somebody's quick. I didn't tell anybody to put that up. He got that up that fast. Very good. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. The Lord gave that promise to my brother when he was a young Christian, and he believed it. Not long afterwards, uh, my mother got saved. And then we moved churches to the Naki Congregational Church, and there we heard the gospel. And I heard the gospel in very simple ways. Uh, there was a man came, and he was doing like an assistant pastorship in the church, and he used to do the children's stories. Well, that's the gospel that I could understand, the children's stories, because I didn't have any clue about Bible things or Bible stuff at all. Alan Hoy. Remember Alan Hoy? Alan Hoy was doing the Bible stories, and I heard the gospel. Now... <clears throat> I used to play table tennis. I used to be writing good. I thought I used to be writing good at table tennis. But whenever I got beat, everybody in the room knew that I was getting beat. Because I would have been whacking the table with my bat. I would have been kicking the table. I would have been cursing at the umpire. I would be kicking the chairs. It was just a real scandal. When Glenn was getting beat, everybody knew about it. Not too often I got beat, but I did get beat. Now and again, and my temper was bad. My mother used to pray for me. She said, I used to pray for you, and I said, Lord, save Glenn and change him. I would kick the doors in the house and headbutt the door. My temper was not good. 
and God very simply got a hold of me through the beacon, so like a youth fellowship we had at the church that I used to go to, through the beacon, hearing other people's testimonies of how they got saved, how they give their lives to the Lord. And I, and I, you know, you come under conviction and then you start putting up these excuses why you shouldn't get saved. And one of the major things for me that held me back for a while was thinking, if I get saved, I'm going to have to go up in the pulpit and give my testimony. And there's no way I'm going to do that. Not a chance. Reading in primary school, I would have been so nervous reading in a reading group in primary school. The tears would have been running down my eyes. I was so nervous. But if the Lord calls, the Lord equips, and the Lord prepares, the Lord does a work in our lives. And one night, 28th of June, 1992, I was 17 years old, and I very simply at the end of my bed, bowed my knees, and I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I just asked the Lord to save me and forgive my sin. And there was a lot of sin, and God definitely changed my life. Change it in a way that it's very hard to explain. You see, I came across a verse in the Bible in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 6, uh, which talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. And when you have that peace of God within your life, it passes all understanding so much so that you can't even explain it to other people. It's so profound and deep and real. You can touch it. You feel it. And that's what I had. Now, being a very shy person that I was at the time, didn't tell anybody for a few days. Then I told my brother. And then I told my mum. When I told my mum, I didn't have to tell anybody else because everybody else she told. So that solved that problem. The Bible tells us to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that he is risen from the dead and thou shalt be saved. You need to make that confession. You need to say, you need to tell and make that confession for, for Christ. And <clears throat> yes, the Lord saved me. Yes, I was changed, and I knew I was changed. When I went back, back to playing table tennis the next season, because it was in between seasons when I got saved, that bad temper just disappeared. I have no idea. I could get beat, and it wasn't a problem. That's what God can do in our lives. He delivers us from sin. <laughs> and, and it was powerful. There's a hymn, an old hymn, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was about a week after I got saved and they sang that hymn in church and I says, that, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to me. That was amazing. I, I was only 17 when I was saved. We're very involved in the youth there in Danaki. 
And there was this faith mission couple. And they came round to our youth and come, came and preached in our church now and again as well. And his name was Trevor Galanders. And he preached one evening in our church. It's over 30 years ago. It's about 30 years ago now. <laughs> and he preached on a verse in Mark chapter 4, verse 3. And it talks about the sower went forth to sow. And he brought out of that scripture that we as Christians, if you're a Christian and you know the Lord, then you need to be sowing the seeds of the gospel. We have the truth. We have light. We have life. You can't keep it to yourself. You need to be spreading the seed, telling other people. The word of God, you send it out. It doesn't come back empty. And I went home that evening after he preached on that. I was laying on my bedroom floor because the Lord was working in my life. And I realized there's so many children in the world and they don't even have a bed to sleep on. And I had slept, I was sleeping on this wee thin mat on the floor for a few months because why should I sleep in a nice double bed and so many children in the world that don't even have a bed to sleep on? So I just decided to do this. I was laying on the bedroom floor and I had my Bible open in Mark chapter 4 and verse 3. And the Lord was convicting me about serving him. And I very simply prayed to God, very, very sincerely. I said, Lord, if you want me to serve you, you need to speak to me from your word. Very simple prayer. Very sincere. Laying down the bedroom floor, there's this little fan blowing. And it turned the pages of my Bible. When I picked the Bible up, it was opened at Matthew chapter 13. And I started to read. And verse 3 says, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Well, I was a new Christian. I was quern green. And I says, that can't be right. It can't be two verses the same in the Bible. That couldn't be right. And I flicked over, flicked over, and I found the other one. And it just dawned on me. And I put my, head on, my hand on my head and says, the Lord's just spoke to me. And that was the beginning of God working in my life, leading me into service. I was only a builder. What's a builder going to do for God? I had no idea. Like, I failed English twice. I have no English GCSE. <laughs> what am I going to do for the Lord? But I realized, well, my Bible knowledge is not too good, so I probably need to go to Bible college. <laughs> that might help. And I prayed to God. I was engaged to be married at this time, at this stage in life. I was 18, 18 and a half, almost 19 years of age. I was engaged to be married. But I was a Christian girl too, but I realized we were going in different directions, and I called it off, this engagement. And Tommy Anderson, preacher from World Gospel Mission, don't know if you know him or not, he came to the youth meeting and he started to speak. And he spoke on about this young fella. He started with an illustration. And I was praying about going to Bible college. I started with an illustration. He said, there's this young fella, and he called off an engagement. I said, oh, something here for me. 
And the illustration went on, a couple of different stories in this illustration, and this young fellow went to the Faith Mission Bible College. So I ended up going to Faith Mission Bible College, spent two years there, and it was a blessing from God. You know, I thought I knew this much of the Bible, and there must be about this much to know. Well, I left Bible college, and I suppose I knew about this much of the Bible, but then I realized there's infinite, infinite amount to know in God's Word. And God's Word has the power to change lives. It is like a sword, a two-edged sword, dividing asunder the joints and marrow. It pierces, pierces right into our hearts. It's the Word of God. It's powerful. And in Bible college, in my first year in Bible college, there was a Brazilian couple in the Bible college, and they wanted to go to this meeting outside Bible college over halfway to Glasgow, from Edinburgh to Glasgow. They didn't have a license, couldn't drive a car, it was like half-term break, and there was nobody there. I stayed behind to study a bit more because I failed my English and I wasn't doing that good, and it was, I had to study hard uh, to get through Bible college. Many verses do we learn? 328 Bible verses in Bible college. You have to memorize them. You say 50 at a time. So it was a real blessing <laughs> in Bible college. But they wanted to go to this special meeting. Victor Maxwell was preaching in this meeting, and they knew Victor Maxwell, so I drove them to the meeting. Victor Maxwell's a missionary in Brazil with Acre Gospel Mission. Okay, great meeting. Victor Maxwell preached and told stories, you know, going up the Amazon River, planting churches, and really good. Well, this friend of mine that I took to the meeting, Julson Breitley, turned around to me and he, <clears throat> he gave me a real dig in the ribs and he says, Glenn, you go to Brazil. I thought for a minute. He says, if God calls me to go to Brazil, I'll go to Brazil. Well, that was a Friday. And Brazil just started to go around my head. All weekend long, Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Victor Maxwell was arranged to come to the Bible College to do the missionary spot. Missionary spots always on Wednesday, never on a Monday. Monday's practical day, my favorite day, practical day. Didn't have to do any studying. But Monday, they decided, okay, this suits Victor Maxwell to come and do the missionary spot on the Monday. Well, I prayed. Because Brazil was just in my mind. It was just unbelievable how the Lord just kept bringing this up all the time. And I said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary in Brazil, this man will preach on a verse to do with sowing the seeds of the gospel. Simple prayer. Sincere prayer. Well, Victor Maxwell got up and he read Psalm 126. He read the whole psalm. Verse 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. But then he sat down, he didn't preach on it. I, didn't, I, didn't I, pray, I prayed he would preach on it. He didn't preach on it. He sat down. Another lady got up called Lucy Marr. She shared testimony of the ministry that she was doing with street children. This was in the late, in the mid-90s when, when the police were shooting street children on the streets. Shooting them, killing them. 
and this was very prevalent in the news and all the rest. She shared about her ministry. I was sitting at the front, and as she was sharing and she finished, all I can say is, God opened my eyes to the need. And I very simply, right at the front, I bowed my head and I prayed to God and I says, Lord, here am I, send me. I want to go to Brazil for you. Then Victor Maxwell got up and preached on verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 126. And that's a long time ago. Uh, we ended up going to Brazil. Been in Brazil for 23 years serving the Lord. I went to Brazil. I didn't go out with the Mission Society. I rang a couple of different Mission Societies when I was in Bible College, before finishing Bible College. Uh, you know, well, Brazil's a big country. Where are you going to go in Brazil? What are you going to do in Brazil? I had no idea. So I rang a couple of Mission Societies to see, you know, what do I need? You know, do they take missionaries on? How does it work? And I needed a thousand pounds a month as a single person. This is 30 years, almost 30 years ago, I needed £1,000 a month support guaranteed before I could go out with a couple of different mission societies. Oh, is it dear? Oh. We still don't have, we still don't have £1,000 a month support. <laughs> and we have a whole family. <laughs> we never had that much support in our lives. <laughs> so that sort of closed the door on, on going with a mission society. So that didn't work. Uh, that Brazilian couple in the Bible College, they took a few of my prayer cards. They went to Brazil for, for a visit, give them out to a few pastors. I got a letter in the post from a pastor when I was in Bible College. It's not so much who sent it. It's not so much even what it said. But it was the timing of the letter. Because in our second year in Bible College, at the end of the second year, there's a meeting set aside just for the second years to say, where they're going next. So every second year gets up and they will say, I'm going to such and such a mission. I'm staying with the faith mission. I'm going to such and such a country. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing the other thing. And they all get up and say where they're going. Well, I knew it was called to Brazil. I didn't know who I was going out with. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I didn't know any of that. I got up on the morning of that meeting. I got that letter. And I read the letter out. And I says, this is where I'm going. It was an invitation letter that I needed to get a visa to get into Brazil. So I read that out. I said, that's where I'm going. City of Sao Paulo to a church called Brazil for Christ. And what year was it? Year 2000, April. 5th of April 2000, I arrived in Brazil. A few weeks later, I had a container arrived, a packed container. Container was sent over, and what was I going to do in Brazil? Well, I went over on my own. I got involved in this local church. The first day I arrived in Brazil, the people that were picking me up were in the wrong terminal, so it was a couple hours waiting. I was like, oh no, now what am I going to do? Couldn't even speak the language. And they eventually found me in the airport. And it's not like an airport, like Belfast City Airport, you know, where there's only one door to get out. There's two terminals. It's, it's massive. The city of Sao Paulo has 18 million people. The city of Sao Paulo is as big as our country. So if you drive from here all the way to Belfast, well, you imagine a city as big as that and bigger. 
just city, the whole way around. It's huge. Uh, so I was in Sao Paulo, in this local church. First day I arrived, we went out on the streets to work with alcoholics and drug addicts, reaching people on the streets, giving out soup, like soup kitchen style ministry. And I got involved in that. Met a really good friend doing that ministry. Uh, started giving out soup. I couldn't say anything. I could give them soup, you know, give them a blanket. Couldn't sit down and talk with them or anything because I couldn't speak Portuguese. I started learning Portuguese every day, Monday to Friday, for four months. Learned reasonably well. I walked around for about a year with a dictionary in my pocket. If I needed to speak with people, I could get the dictionary out and get the right word and say it. Within two years, I was already married then. And my wife was there. And after about two years in Brazil, was one day I was in the bank. I had my work clothes on. I was talking to the bank manager. And I needed some number from a card at home. I rang my wife. So I was talking to my wife in English. And after the call was over, the bank manager says to me, he says, wow, you speak really good English. <laughs> after two years of being there, I could speak Portuguese well enough that he didn't know that I wasn't a Brazilian. You see, God equips. I have no English GCSE, but I can speak fluent Portuguese that Brazilians don't even know that I'm not a foreigner. Is that God at work or not? I think so. So God helped in all these details. When my wife got there, the first week, we were driving home from a friend's house one evening, stopped at the pastor's house where we were staying, and we stopped, this motorbike drove in, stopped in front of us, two guys on the motorbike, they jumped off the motorbike, and the boy came up to the window with a gun in his hands, telling us, Desi, Desi! means get out, <laughs> get out, get out. Uh, that was my wife's first week in Brazil. So it's welcome to Sao Paulo. This is how we live here. So we got our car stolen, we got carjacked the first week she was there in Brazil. Uh, good job my wife didn't give up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we've been in Brazil for 23 years. Started a ministry with alcoholics and drug addicts. That ministry that we started on the streets, we started, we started taking people to a rehab facility that already existed. That rehab facility changed ownership, changed leadership. And they wanted us to pay whatever amount it was at the time, but it was just too much money. We couldn't afford to pay the amount that we had to pay to put men in rehab anymore. After every month they wanted this money. So the ministry on the street kind of stopped because we'd know where to bring people. You know, you're bringing people the words of life and truth. But you need to help them. Yeah, we're not just doing a social ministry. We're preaching the gospel. But you still need to help people. The gospel has to be real in everyday situations. Jesus himself, the Bible tells us, you know, if... if if a man's cold, you can't preach to him. You know, give him a coat first, and then you can preach to him. If a man's hungry, give him food to eat, then you can preach to him. 
So we ended up, we got a piece of land given to us. And we built a rehab center on this land. We've had four different work teams come over. Gregory, Trevor Nestor's youngest son, he came over and helped in one of those work teams. And rehab center was built. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. Uh, what he's doing in our own lives as well as what he's doing in other people's lives. Alcoholics, drug addicts, street people, men in particular, coming off the streets, going through rehab, getting saved, having their lives transformed. Uh, just a couple of little stories of a couple of men. Edgigar went through rehab, came in to our triage. And when these men come in off the streets, they're dirty, but I mean dirty. You take their clothes from them, you give them new clothes and you burn their old clothes because no amount of Ariel or Omo or whatever you have in the house to wash them will clean them. They're so bad. And these men will shower and take another shower and shave and get tidied up and take more showers. And it could take two or three weeks of showers before the smell actually starts to disappear. You know, they're on the streets for so long. Their lives being destroyed by drugs and alcohol. And they're destitute. They have no hope. Edgar came. He was just like that. Really, really bad. Uh, he went to rehab. His wife had kicked him out maybe months, a year beforehand. And he was on the streets for all that time. Because his wife couldn't put up with it anymore. He went to rehab. The Lord saved him. Changed his life in a real way. Came back to Sao Paulo, worked with me in construction, started up then later on his own uh, little workshop, spraying cars. That's what he used to do before he became an alcoholic, fixing cars. And his wife took him back. The Lord reunited his family, his wife, son, daughter. Edgar's son, and Edgar himself and his son, they opened up this business together, spraying these cars, fixing these cars. His son one day went to the bank to get money to pay the workers. Well, he got the cash out of the bank, went right up the till, the cash register, got the money out and went home. Someone in the bank tipped off a thief because it's a large sum of money. And for them, it would have been a large sum of money. That thief followed him all the way to the workshop. This is Edgar's son. He was 24 years old. He stole that money in the workshop, stole the money from them. Edgar's son ran out after him. He turned around and shot him once and hit him in the heart. He was dead in 15 minutes on his way home, on his way to the hospital in his father's arms. Now, if that wouldn't drive a man back to alcohol or drugs, nothing would. That's a huge loss. That's a tremendous pain that he went through during that time. But he stood firm in the Lord and continues today firm and strong in the Lord. We have a video of the ministry. Maybe someday you'll get to see it. And he gives testimony in the video. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is what his testimony is in the video. Uh, the Lord changes life. Sergio, 
Sergio lived for seven years on the streets, seven years living on the streets. The weather's not like this now. When you're living on the streets in Sao Paulo, uh, it'll get cold in the winter, yes, but cold in the winter over there is 10 degrees. You don't have the wind to get over there like we have here. Uh, you could sort of manage to live in the streets. A few cardboard boxes and whatnot, and you can keep yourself sort of warm. Sergio lived in the streets for seven years, came to us, same story, burn the clothes, get cleaned up, went to rehab. Sergio went through rehab, stayed an extra couple of months, helped out one of the work teams. The Lord changed his life, but really, really changed his life in such a way. It's amazing to see how God worked. And Sergio started to pray. When he was finishing rehab, he started to pray. He says, Lord, I would like a wife. But Lord, I don't have any money to keep a wife. I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give a wife. I have no car. I have no house. I have nothing. So, Lord, if you could provide me with a wife that had these things, that would be great. <laughs> so, Sergio prayed. Well, about three years after rehab, so after he was finishing rehab, about three years saved. And did the Lord not provide Sergio with a wife? A widowed lady, and she had her own house and her own wee car, and all these things, she had them all. And they got married and they're doing great. Great testimony. Sergio rings me up now and again and asks how I'm doing stuff. He goes out to the rehab and visits, gives his testimony out of the rehab. Witnesses to everybody he can witness to, he will witness to them. It's great to see how the Lord changes lives, transforms lives. God doesn't do adding. God does multiplication. God multiplies. One man... One man and his life is transformed. You take that alcoholic, that drug addict, and God changes that life. Everybody who knew that person in that situation, they knew him when he was at his lowest, at his worst. Mankind in the filth. And they go to the rehab, and they get saved. And the Lord transforms their lives. But transforms their lives in such a way that when they're done in rehab... Work with me in construction, Sao Paulo. Start going back to family. Start, you know, building up those relationships again with their families and friends that they had before. Families and friends, they see the transformation. They see what God has done in their lives. And they see it's, 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 it's one of these wow factors. You know the wow factor? Wow. What did, what happened? It's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. Whether you're an alcoholic or not, whether you're a really, really bad sinner or not, salvation's a miracle. And it's amazing. And it's great. And it should spread to other people. It should be like COVID, contagious, that it spreads to everybody. It should just radiate from your life. And these men come out of rehab and they go back to their families. And their families, immediate families, see the change. Their wider family circle sees the change. The place where they lived, the people on that street see the change. And then the phone starts ringing. Glenn, we've seen the change in so-and-so. Uh, have you got space in the rehab center for my uncle, my brother, my father, my son, my whatever? People see the change. And not only do they see the change, 
but they want the change in their lives too. And there's far, far more people getting saved, not in our rehab, but through the testimony of the lives of the men that go through rehab. It's like dropping a pebble in a pool of water, still a pool of water. You drop that pebble in, and a wee wave comes out, and another one comes out, and another one comes out, and another one comes out, and it gets bigger and bigger and goes further and further. That's the power of God. That's the power of the gospel that we're not ashamed of because we know it is the power of God on salvation to those who believe. And these men have their lives transformed and changed dramatically. And other people in their families, family circles, on their streets, get saved. So one testimony becomes five, ten testimonies. Hobson. I was in Brazil. We've come home from Brazil now about six or seven months. We've been home from Brazil. I'll be going back to Brazil a couple of times a year. Uh, but when I was back there in November, one of the guys going through rehab called Hobson, I was talking to him, and he said there's 15 people in his family. He counted 15 people in his family that have come back to the Lord or got saved in this past few months because of what God has done in his life. God doesn't do adding. God does multiplication. And it's great to see what God is doing in people's lives and in our own lives. How is God leading you in your life? What are you doing for the Lord? How are you being a testimony to God? It's not Trevor's job to meet the people that you work for and evangelize the people that you work with. It's not his job. That's your responsibility. If you know the Lord, it's your responsibility to be a testimony to your neighbor, a testimony to the people you work with, a testimony to the people you go to school with, you go to college with, because they might not hear it from anybody else, but from you. And we have the words of life on our lips. What are we going to do with it? The Lord saves and salvation is amazing. And the, God, the Lord can use our lives. And to be used in the hands of an almighty God is a, is a humbling thing. But it's an amazing thing. And there's nothing better. Nothing that satisfies more than, than seeing somebody coming to the Lord and getting saved. It's, it's beyond description. It's powerful. We need to see people saved and disciples made. So praise the Lord for what he's doing here in your life, in your lives, what he's doing in Brazil, what he's doing around the world. It's great to see God work. So keep on preaching the gospel. Keep on being a witness. Keep on being a testimony of God in your lives because there's nothing better We've lost the sense of eternity in this country. We're just so occupied, preoccupied with today and now, what I can get for me, how I can be satisfied with me and have my things. And the world just consumes us. 
and we've forgot about eternity. And where are you going to spend eternity? Yes, in Brazil, we do building work. I'm a builder. I do building work in Brazil. I teach these men how to do building work. But that's not what it's all about. It's not about taking men off the streets and getting them off drugs or off alcohol. You can be as sober as you want if you don't have Christ, the end of the road is hell. We're not in Brazil. I'm not in Brazil reaching people to see them getting better. I'm in Brazil reaching people to see them getting saved. Because that's what makes the eternal difference in people's lives. Praise the Lord that the gospel still is the power of God unto salvation. So go out and share it. Tell people about it. Be a witness. Be a testimony to whoever's around you. Use those opportunities that God gives you, those little doors of opportunity, to plant those seeds. Behold, the sower went forth to sow, and we're all supposed to be sowing the seeds of the gospel. Sow the seeds. God's word will not return unto him void. May the Lord bless you and use us in these days, in this place. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Glenn. I think you would appreciate that. I'm, I'm delighted that, uh, I'm delighted that uh, Glenn was able to share not only about his salvation, and, uh, but also about what God has called him in to do and what he's seen done. There's a verse that was coming through my mind. I'm not going to preach now, but there was a verse that was coming through my mind, and in in, in it's uh, Romans 12. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, and you know as preachers, m many of you may know something about preaching. If you see that word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Well, it's there because of what Paul is after saying in the previous 11 chapters. He's taught us about the loss of man and, this, and the dev devastation and the, and, the, and the awful depravity and the, and the poverty that man has been plunged into through sin. And he talks about that, that depth of sin and that awful cost that sin has exacted upon us. Then he goes and he teaches us about how we've been saved. And he talks about justification by faith, and he talks about sanctification. He talks about this deliverance. He talks even about, in Romans 8, about the filling of the Holy Spirit. He talks about uh, the, very, the, the relationship with Israel and, and, and Christ and the vine and all of that, and people get all screwed up with all those things. But he's talking about the wonderful blessings that we have in salvation. And he says, because of all of that, because of all of that, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I'm going to address myself to the young folk because I'm so delighted to see the young folk coming to this church. So I'm going to address myself to you now. You can live for self. You can make your mark and make your, make your money. You can get your bank account, whatever. You can get your girlfriend. You can get your wife. You can get your house. And, and that may be what God wants for you. That might be, and that, and that probably is, and, and that probably is what God wants for you. But the Word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
and all these things. And, and like Glenn, I remember Glenn, a wee fella. He wasn't much, he, he's, he's, I think he was smaller. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe you got bigger. I'm not sure. Uh, but I can remember Glenn and his brother, Dwayne, who lives in Balamina. I can remember them coming to the meetings. We were involved in, in, involved in uh, the, the Beacon. And they used to come. I remember one meeting when the Beacon was playing. There was a whole team of them came from Delahi Congregational Church. I remember the night we were in a tent and we thought God was, Christ was coming through the tent roof. We had, we had uh, a 200-seater tent and there were 300 people packed into it. Remember that night, Glenn? And, and one of the fellows, uh, one of the fellows, uh, was, uh, they, they, they were singing that, that, that song, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. But unknown to us, one of the team played uh, a silver trumpet. And, and, as, they, and as they were singing, The King is Coming, he started to play the trumpet. Everybody, the whole 300 people in the tent were looking around to see the king coming. And those are the kind, in fact, Colville Dara spoke that night and he said he never was as near revival as he was that night. And God had come. And a lot of those young folk met with God and, and, and served the Lord and gone out to serve the Lord. Listen, young folk, yes, live uh, and, and do whatever, but make sure, make sure that you're seeking first the kingdom of God. And like Glenn, God could maybe not take you to Brazil. Listen, there's Kulabaki, there's Hull, there's Balamina, there's 4,000 invitations, cards coming on Thursday at this meeting, where we can all not go out and evangelize as such, but go out and just communicate with the people around us. Just talk to them. Put a face to the church. Paul says, because of what Christ has done for you, because of what he has accomplished on the cross, Stop living for self and start living for him. And it's only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renew of your mind, that you may prove whether it is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's two of those verses, Glenn, that we, Glenn, that we learn. Give your life to him. Just say now, here now. Just bow, bow your head before God now and say, God... I, I don't know where you'll take me. Someone sent me a wee text this morning. We were inter communicating on, on text and said, well, I'm here, Lord. And I text back and I said, and there's a few of us like that. We're here. Do with us. That's what's going to make the difference. That's what's going to make the difference. And so we, would you consider that tonight? Maybe you've never been saved. What a night to get saved, eh? What a night. Because God is in the business of using lives for his glory. Let's bow together in prayer. We'll ask the band to come forward. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for someone who never passed English uh, uh, examinations, never, Lord, really made much in the intellectual stand. And yet, Lord, uh, for a life that has made a difference in the lives of many on the other side of the world. And Lord, it's continuing to make a difference in other lives. 
And so, Father, we pray that even tonight, Lord, that there may be those who are in your presence, who have listened to this testimony, Lord, who have wondered about what they're going to do with their lives. Lord, I pray that tonight, right now, right here, in this moment, in their lives, they'll say, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. I'll make a mess with my life if I control it. But, oh God, you can make a masterpiece. Father, we pray that tonight in this gathering, that just like Glenn was in a little meeting uh, so many years ago, insignificant and unknown to me, Lord, you are working in a heart. And Father, there's an investment has been made by that life in eternity because they said yes to Jesus. God, grant that there will be victory tonight in hearts and lives. And Lord, to you alone be the glory, the honor, and the praise. We give you thanks for all that you can do. You can take someone who's been defeated and beaten, and you can make them into a, a conqueror. And so we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Christ alone, because it is in Christ alone, we'll stand and sing together.
let's just pray together for a wee moment. I sense in this meeting that some may be considering, have been considering, handing the life over to the Lord. That'd be a wonderful thing if you've done that. Glenn and I will be at the door on the way out. There'll be some folk here at the front that will pray with you as well. Uh, so either way, you've got a, an opportunity to communicate with us. But if God has been tugging at your heartstring, I mean, you think about that, an insignificant little meeting in, in a little church group, uh, and, and what a difference that has made in Brazil, hey? Think about it. You see, there'll be people that'll be reached that only you can reach. And God will not force himself on you. Now, you might have your plans, but what about God's plan for you? Not better, isn't it? Father, whatever you've been saying in hearts, whatever the commitment, whatever the dedication, whatever the promise, whatever the vow, Lord, we ask that in this moment of time, Lord, that you will impress it and give that victory. Lord, we ask that you'll overcome and grant, Lord, that there will be that sense of coming through, breaking through. And we ask, Lord, that you'll part us in your blessing, bring us to our homes and safety. Help us, Lord, to glorify you in this incoming week for Christ's sake. And everybody said, and still shouting. And that's enough. Thank you so much. God bless.